Thank you for joining us today on Renovation Podcast. John Oglesby, I'm here with the Dr. Christopher Cohn. And I'm here with the John Oglesby. <laughs> All right, so um, I think we need to hit the wheel of topicality. And our topic today is going to be the proper response to a political disagreement. And I think the context we could go here is if so I'm I'm don't want to get too far into which side of the political agenda we're on or anything like that, but oh, come on. we'll use the we'll use the current president, Donald Trump, whether you disagree with him or agree with him or whatever the case may be. And let's let's say he's gonna he you know he's doing things that that i disagree with what is my proper response to that and you of course you can go 10 million different ways with that but let's let's go let's go different ways with that but what what is my response as a believer in christ and how do i do that so that god's glorified in that Wow, what in the world made you think of that? Yeah. I mean, why did we? Why did you even put that on the wheel of topicality? Because the writing is so small, I'm amazed that it even fit there. That's <laughs> we're we're hitting, we're gonna we're just gonna hit all kinds of topics. The wheel of topicality will be the deciding factor on which one we talk about. Well, Proverbs does say that the the lot is determined by the Lord. You know, so it's like the equivalent of Old Testament dice. Maybe we should just roll dice. And, yeah. Like right on paper, the you know twelve topics. Yeah. Uh, and then just roll the dice and see. Yeah. I, that might that might not be appreciated by some. So instead, we use this this awesome digital wheel that's uh, on the screen. Yeah. Fantastic. Very cool. Okay. So what what were you? What's the topic again? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So there are a number of passages that uh, that we can think through uh, principles that that come into play, and I think uh, uh, first of all. I would I would start in uh, Romans 13, uh, and he begins in that chapter. So in the first uh, the first 11 chapters, Paul has talked about all this incredible provision that God has given to the believer, and then in chapter 12 he challenges them generally uh, to uh, be transformed by the renewing of the mind, not to be conformed to culture. And, uh, and then to, to present their bodies living in holy sacrifice. And then he gives specific ways that that should be expressed in our lives. And we see that starting in 13.1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authorities oppose the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So there's a, a first principle there, that God has designed authority uh, and that when we're resisting the concept of authority, His authority, then we're really resisting God. So uh, I think first of all we see there's a responsibility to respect uh, and that that uh, idea of being in subjection, you know a lot of people don't like that word, be in yeah. subjection. It's the Greek word hupotasso and we see it elsewhere in Ephesians 5 mm -hmm. 21. And uh, uh, just for fun, <coughs> we often will read 522, <laughs> right? And, and, and we'll see that there, uh, in our Bibles, there's a header there. 
right. a lot of times it's marriage, like Christ in the church, it starts in 22. Uh, most Bibles have that paragraph breakdown. So I'm going to just read verse 22 as it's written. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Uh, <laughs> husbands are like, yeah! <laughs> right? And uh, and then we, we read a little further. And this, husbands love your wives just as Christ also the church and gave himself up for her. And it's husbands like, are like, dang. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a challenge, right? Because the standard is Christ. But this whole context is introduced by the verse that immediately precedes verse 22. Would you like to guess what number that is? 21. Yeah, good, good. So, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And that word is hupotasso. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So in other words, every believer has a responsibility to be submitted to one another. And it's not just in that aspect, but it's specifically in relation to the fear of Christ, which means we're recognizing that he is our head. And so as we engage with each other, we need to respond to each other as, as being... Children of the king, if you will, right? put it that way. So verse 22 doesn't say, wives, be subject to your own husband. It simply says, wives, to your own husbands as to the Lord. In other words, all believers are to submit to one another, wives, to their own husbands. So there's a specific kind of subjection. And then the, the husband, verse 25, loves his own wife, and that's how he is being subject to her. So there's this mutual subjection. But what is that hupotasso? What does that mean? Uh, it means to under-align. Uh, it's, it's a military concept of aligning yourself under someone, submitting, subjecting yourself to someone. Uh, here's another example. And I, I'm only using the marital example to show that authority doesn't mean inequality. Right. right? Because in, in marriage, husband and wife are 100% equal. They're co-heirs in Christ, but they have different roles. Right. Same thing with, uh, with authority constructs that God has designed in society. Here's an example. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, and let's, let's read verses 3 and 4. Uh, the husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. It doesn't stop there. <laughs> it says, and likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And so it, the, the idea is in marriage, they belong to each other, and they have a responsibility in that aspect to be subject to one another, right? right. To submit to the authority of, of one another. Uh, that's a really incredible concept. So zooming out then we're looking at one specific area of, of authority within marriage and those roles and what that looks like but zooming out uh, how do we respond well to authority in general Romans 13 describes how authority is given by God it's his it's his structure he's uh, he's put in place order uh, so that we can function well uh, and I think uh, that's the first principle is recognizing that even though those holding authority may not be godly, mm -hmm. the, the concept of the authority, we're still supposed to respect that. Uh, and we don't have the right to kind of cherry pick. So, for example, and I will be candid, uh, I did not vote for Barack Obama. I d don't agree with his worldview. I think he was a very effective president in accomplishing um, you know, many of the things that were on his agenda. But I disagreed with that agenda. But if somebody asked me, is he your president? Because there's the whole not my president thing, you know, with this administration and the last, I'd say absolutely. Uh, you know, as an American, uh, 
he's a elected uh, uh, president of the United States, and I will treat him with respect, and, and also pray for him. That's the next passage right. uh, over in First Timothy chapter two. Uh, we're told to be subject to authority in general because the constructs come from God. Uh, so then in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we read these words, verse 1. First of all then, uh, I urge that entreaties and prayers, I almost said pretities. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure that's a word, but entreaties and prayers. Say that five times real fast. <laughs> Don't really, but petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. In other words, that we're supposed to be thankful for all. Right. And he doesn't say uh, just those that we agree with. Uh, entreaties, we should be entreating our Lord for his provision for, for, uh, uh, for all, praying for them, uh, bringing petitions to him, uh, not uh, petitions for uh, impeachment or anything like that, but, you know, and thanksgiving. And it's on behalf of all, uh, in all humanity, the, the term there is anthropos. Uh, when you're when you're seeing, by the way, uh, men specifically, the the Greek word is uh, is andros, and and for for women it's gune. So it's two different words specifying men and women. <clears throat> Whereas uh, when you see humanity in general, it's anthropos, right? right. But then there's a subcategory, a more specific category in verse two, for kings. And all who are in authority. So let's stop there. So we don't have kings in our in our country, right? But we still have leaders. And right. technically, you could say the Constitution is our king. That's how our government is designed. So our Constitution is our king. Uh, the Constitution provides for certain leaders and representatives uh, to ensure that the Constitution is is fulfilled. And so this passage would apply to that. We should be praying for all those who are in leadership uh, and, and then all who are in authority. Uh, so we should be in subjection, Romans 13, prayerful, 1 Timothy 2. And then he gives the purpose for that prayerfulness uh, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So that we can go about our business, do our thing, serve the Lord uh, without having encumbrances brought by authorities and government. If we're not prayerful, that's even more important than voting. Voting is important, but being prayerful is a bigger deal. Uh, so, you know, you've, you've heard it said, if, if you don't vote, then you can't complain, mm -hmm. right? Well, I think if Paul were looking at that, he would say, if you're not praying for these people, right. very specifically, uh, with entreaties, prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving, then you, you have no complaint. Because those are designed so that if we're if we're prayerful in those ways, uh, we're praying for authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So, is there a place for prayer on? Uh, you know, you, you kind of jokingly said, I mean, not for their impeachment or for the <laughs> impeachment or something. I don't remember exactly what the the joke was there, but is there a place for that? As in, so there's an authority figure. Yes, I would I would pray for them in a positive way, you know, that they would, um, ultimately, I would pray that they would come to know Christ and that they that would that would bleed over into their uh, politics and in their leading and in their leadership. But also, is there a place for, um, they're just ungodly, it, it, they're wicked, um, and I would prefer that they would be almost replaced by someone who's godly, who loves the Lord. Is there a place for that prayer? Psalm 58, 
is an example of an imprecatory prayer. And an imprecatory prayer just means one that's praying for judgment. Um, in the first five verses, he talks about uh, wicked people. And in verse 6, he says, O oh God, shatter their teeth in their mouth. Break out the fangs of the young lions, O oh Lord. Let them flow away like water that runs off. Uh, when he aims his arrows, let them be as headless shafts. Let them be as a snail which melts away as it goes along. And then this is, uh, this is rough. Like the miscarriages of a woman which never see the sun. Right? Mm -hmm. Uh, now, you look at the end of verse 9, it says, He will sweep them away with a whirlwind, the green and the burning alike. Okay, so, uh, so in verse 10 he says, The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance, and he'll wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. And men will say, Surely there's a reward for the righteous. Surely there's a God who judges on earth. Now, uh, some might ask, should we pray those kinds of prayers? This is a little bit of what you're, you're saying right, there, yeah. right? I no. wasn't thinking quite as <laughs> gruesome or anything, but you know. Yeah, yeah. Let, let them be as a snail which melts away as it goes along. Psalm 58. Um, that's a kind of a sad image. <laughs> yeah, it really is. At least it's gradual. Line, so it's you know? a gradual thing. But the, the, the difficulty is we're in a different economy, and I don't mean that politically. I mean uh, we're in a, a, a different stewardship of God. In David's day... He was under the Mosaic Law, and uh, that law was a covenant. And that covenant was between God and Israel. God said, if you obey my covenant, then I'm going to let you live in this land and be fruitful, and the snails won't melt away. Yeah, right. It doesn't say that last part. I mean, <laughs> uh, But if Israel wasn't faithful, they were going to be removed. God would execute judgment on, on that nation. And he promised, he said, when that takes place... One day I will restore the nation and they'll have a future and they'll be blessed. So there's this whole plan that God has about the nation of Israel in that economy and in the future economy or administration of God. We use the word dispensation. That's kind of a Latin version of the word economy or administration. That's where the term dispensationalism comes from. The idea that there are different administrations or different dispensations. So David is in this different economy one that was a covenant relationship and and he is looking at those who are doing evil and he is simply asking God to keep his word to be faithful uh, to his covenant and to proclaim judgment on those who are who are unfaithful uh, and his point is verse 11 there's a reward for the righteous surely there's a God who judges on on earth uh, and so that's Within that economy, it was uh, there was grace. There was lots of grace that God would show, right. but there was also a significant responsibility, uh, and it was a deal that people had agreed upon. You know, they agreed that they would be be part of this. Uh, now, then let's 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 look at the present economy or dispensation. Second Peter three, uh, <clears throat> starting in in verse eight. In these previous verses, uh, he's talking about... And let's go back to verse 3. Can't skip over. This is just too good. Second Peter 3, starting in verse 3. Uh, rather than talk about the context, let's just read it. He says, Know this first of all. In the last days, mockers will come, following after their own desires and lusts. And they'll say, Where's the promise of His coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was for the beginning of creation. In other words, where's God? He's not here. He's not coming back. 
uh, we just do our thing, follow our own desires and uh, wickedness and violence and all of that. And when they maintain that, Peter says, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water by water, uh, through which the world at that time was destroyed, right? He flooded the earth right. with its own stuff. Uh, it's kind of, you know, he, he drowned everything in its, in its own makeup, if right. you will. And so if he did that in the past, now he said he wouldn't do it by water, but Peter talks of a future time. He says, by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction So, uh, of ungodly men. So what, what David is kind of calling out for in Psalm 58, Peter is announcing there's a future judgment that's coming. Now, does Peter pray for that future judgment? Again, he's in a different economy than David, a different administration and system. How does Peter handle that? Well, he says this in verses 8 and 9. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. In other words, uh, God is outside of time. He created time. A day is nothing. A thousand years is nothing. Um, so to us, it seems like he's taking a long time, but to him, it's in his perfect timing. In verse 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And what that shows is God could judge. He could have shut it off long ago. Right. Uh, it was perfectly within his right to judge, but he's exhibiting incredible, incredible patience over the years so that people might come to uh, repentance to change their mind about about him. He's being gracious. Absolutely. Being, being gracious. There's another really interesting example of that. If uh, we go back to uh, Genesis 15 uh, into a previous economy or dispensation, and God is making this promise to Abram there that uh, that one day his, his descendants uh, would would dwell in this particular land and he gives these these boundaries and it's incredible amount of land that uh, the sons of Israel have never yet currently possessed so it's still a future thing but he says this in uh, this is Genesis 15 verse 13 God said to Abram know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that's not theirs they'll be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years well that sounds that doesn't sound gracious. That's right. that's a prophecy of, of enslavement. But then what does he say? Verse 14, I will judge the nation whom they serve, and afterward they'll come out with, with uh, many possessions. Uh, okay, so there's a, there's a restoration at the end. There's a time of refreshing coming at the end of that. But he says to Abram, verse 15, As for you, go to your fathers in peace. You'll be buried at a good old age. And then here's verse 16. We see the grace of God amazing here. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Mm -hmm. In other words, God is going to uh, delay an entire nation from receiving its blessing and its, its uh, ability to dwell in this land. He's going to delay all that 400 years just to allow the people that are there before then to continue in their wickedness and finish as opposed to just judging them immediately uh, so you see God's grace and mercy his patience 400 years uh, he, he will tolerate this before bringing judgment so back to your original question 
Uh, I think we, we need to respect those in authority. We need to pray for them. Uh, and when they're not uh, behaving properly, uh, part of being in subjection to the, the governing authority is we're under the Constitution, which gives us in the United States the privilege to vote. And we can vote the bums out, as they say, right? <laughs> uh, so we have that, that freedom. Uh, and that's a way of being submissive to government, all while being able to change the government. So it's kind of a beautiful system that we have here. It's not perfect, but, but it, it, it works better than any other humanly devised system. So it, it may be harder to, to talk about, I guess, here in America is um, we do have the right to vote and stuff like that. But let's say you're in more of a dictatorship nation. Great question. So to yep. be subject to the authority, but that authority is requiring that you do something outside of what God's word tells us to do. So it's essentially telling you you must sin or, you know, um, for example, I don't even know if this is necessarily true in the world anywhere, but I know that at one point China was limiting the amount of kids you could have. So you get pregnant and they would either force you to, you know, they'd force you to get rid of the baby somehow. Uh, because you weren't allowed to have more than a certain amount of kids. Um, so if I read Romans 13, you know, just really the first two verses, sounds like, um, well, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm, I am to be subject to them, sub, you know, period, right, with no clauses there. Yep. Be subject to them. Uh, how, do I, how do I go about disagreeing and, and really, in, in that instance, not subjecting to them because it's against what God is telling me to do as a as a believer elsewhere. So essentially, it's almost which do I follow? Which command do I follow here? Right. You're you're faced with a choice of higher order principles. Right. Uh, obey, be in subjection, and then if uh, it's in direct contradiction to what, something that God has said, you know, then you have to prioritize that. And we see two really neat. Uh, I'm going to say three really neat biblical examples okay, of, of exactly that that give guidance. So Paul uh, is giving us in Romans 13 and then uh, 1 Timothy 2 the, the principles, mm -hmm. uh, being prayerful, being in subjection. This is the design. This is how it should work. But there are some exceptions, and, and let's just walk through uh, three of them. So in Acts chapter 5 is the first one. Uh, they are told, Peter and the apostles are told, they must stop proclaiming the word of God. Stop proclaiming the gospel. 528 says, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Uh, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Okay, So there you have, you have uh, an example that's pretty blatant. But notice they were willing to accept the consequences. And second, they, they only engaged in civil disobedience when it was a direct contradiction to the Word of God. Two principles. Uh, sometimes we, we want to be these great civil objectors, but we aren't willing to take the consequences. Right. And that's the difference between uh, maybe sometimes what we do and what, what Peter and, and the apostles did. Uh, there's another example in Daniel, uh, Daniel 6. He shows exactly the same principle. Uh, it's, it's made law that you essentially can't pray to anybody except the king. 
And what does Daniel do? He continues praying just as he always did. He ends up uh, being thrown in the lion's den. You know, he accepted the consequences. So he would not disobey God. He only disobeyed the law. He's, he's achieved a very high position because of, in part, respect for law and authority. And, and uh, he's on both sides of that. Uh, but when it, when it came to a conflict with what God had revealed, he chose to obey God and accept the consequences. Uh, and that's a really encouraging thing because you have these examples and you see that God provided for both. Now, they both had to deal with the consequences. Uh, you know, Daniel was in the lion's den. Uh, Peter, they got put in prison more than once. There's, uh, there's another example. Uh, uh, there's maybe two more that come to mind. Uh, one is in Exodus chapter 1. You have the, the Hebrew midwives. So Pharaoh tells, tells them, uh, kill Hebrew male children when they're born. Don't let them live. We don't want this this nation to grow. So kill the kill the boys. Uh, <clears throat> but we read in uh, Exodus one seventeen, the midwives feared God and didn't do as the king had commanded them. They broke the law. And you could even you could get into that in a deeper way, looking at ethics. Did they were they deceptive about it? It appears so. Uh, but verse twenty says, so God was good to the midwives. And the people multiplied, and they became very mighty because the midwives feared God, and he established households for them. So God rewarded these midwives. Uh, the, other, the other example would be uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Uh, that they, they disobeyed uh, the, the, the word of the king, and uh, they didn't bow down to this statue, and they were thrown into a fiery furnace, and... I would say Christ himself came and delivered them from that. But they were willing to accept the, the consequences. And, uh, and you know, their, their response to that was, was really, really cool. Um, and it's in Daniel chapter 3. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they respond when they're told they're going to be thrown in this fire. They, they say this starting in verse 16, Daniel 3, 16. They replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But, verse 18 is awesome, even if not, let it be known to you, O king, we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image you set. In other words, they're subjecting themselves to the, to the consequences. Uh, they believe that God is going to deliver, but they're also... Uh, aware that he might not, and if he doesn't, that's his prerogative, and they're going to be obedient regardless. It's like one of those drop the mic moments. Oh, it's beautiful, <laughs> absolutely. It's, it's one of my favorite. I can't, I, I can't even imagine just you know being there. But, but anyways, it it well, it, it's always fascinated me. It's like man, you got this king, the most powerful man in the you know in the known world at that point, or it, so it seems, and he's you know I'm going to throw you in the fire. And they're like, okay. Our God's able, but even if He doesn't, I'm not, not going to bow down to you. So throw away. You right. know, it's like man, the the courage. So it's we fantastic. need to, we need to draw as a as a secondary application. Draw from these instances and, and look at how how these biblical characters dealt with authority and responsibility and when they were willing to disobey, uh, and and it's focused on on God. And in the meantime. 
we also need to be focusing on the principles that we see, like in Romans 13 and in First um, Timothy 2. And uh, continue to pray for our leaders, even if we disagree with them. Right. And sometimes we can even tweet uh, that we're praying. <laughs> and uh, they, might, they might respond or not, some more than others. Yeah, yeah. Make sure you tag the official Donald Trump. <laughs> mm-hmm.